Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey guys, I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the show, you can become a contributor at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. For just a buck a month, which is less than what we all pay for bad cups of coffee, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. For not that much more, I'll even send you your own Words for Granted mug. If Patreon's not your thing, but you'd still like to help keep this show on the road, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to David for his recent contribution. Before we begin, let's do a quick recap of the previous episode. Last time, we looked at words for mama in unrelated languages from around the world, and we saw that the vast majority of these words share similar characteristics. Most of them contain the M sound in conjunction with the open vowel ah. Why? In short, it's because the M sound is typically the first consonant that babies learn to produce on their own, and it's intuitive for them to combine it with the ah sound simply because it's easy. The intuitiveness of these oral mechanics has resulted in the independent development of words that sound like mama or mom or ama in languages from every corner of the globe. To top it off, babies also produce a subtle, sonorous, mmm sound while breastfeeding, which ingrains the psychological connection between the M sound and mothers. For a more elaborate analysis of all of this, check out the full episode if you haven't already. I'd also like to slightly modify something that I said last time. I said that the Japanese word for mama is mama, which is indeed true. However, what I didn't mention is that the modern Japanese word mama was probably borrowed from a European language. Linguists speculate that it could have been borrowed from English, Dutch, German, or even Spanish. So, what was the Japanese word for mama before this borrowing took place? Believe it or not, contrary to the near-universal cross-linguistic characteristics of mama words, the old Japanese word for mama was papa. Now, what is up with that? Why doesn't this old Japanese word fit into the conventional mama mold? And furthermore, why does it sound like a nursery word for father that's found in so many languages around the world? 
Since today's episode is on the very topic of nursery father words, let's return to this question later. Without further ado, let's get on to today's episode, part two in our series on kinship terms. So, when we look at nursery father words in unrelated languages from around the world, we find that the vast majority of them fall into one of four main categories. The first category contains the P sound in conjunction with the open vowel ah, as in the English word papa and its variant forms pops, papa, and poppy. Ah, by the way, is called an open vowel because in order to produce it you literally have to open your mouth all the way while your tongue and lips don't need to do very much work. Many other languages, especially Indo-European languages such as Icelandic, Greek, Spanish, and German, all have words akin to papa. The second category of nursery father words contains the B sound in conjunction with the open vowel ah, as in the Chinese ba and baba the Arabic ab, the Vietnamese ba, and the Somali abe. We can actually think of the b and p categories as two sides of the same coin, because the b sound is the voiced version of the p sound. In other words, the mechanical articulation of b and p in your mouth are exactly the same, except the b sound causes the vocal folds to vibrate, while the p sound does not. If you touch your throat and alternate between these two sounds, you can literally feel what I'm talking about. Try it out. The third category of nursery father words contains the T sound in conjunction with the AH vowel, as in the Tagalog tatai, Bulgarian tate, Welsh tad, and the Eskimo atata. The fourth category, significantly smaller than the other three, contains the D sound in conjunction with an open vowel, such as the English dad, dada, and daddy, the Chechen da, and the Turkmen dade. Note that the English word dad and its variant forms are unique because they contain the open vowel a as opposed to the open vowel a. More on that later. Like B and P, we can also think of D and T as two sides of the same coin, because D is just the voiced version of T. If you like, take a moment to repeat the exercise we did with P and B, and do it with the T and D sounds. So, those are our four categories, but where do they come from? If these similar categories independently developed in unrelated languages, there must be something going on behind the scenes, right? You bet. But before we peek behind the curtain, let's take a closer look at these consonants, P, B, D, and T. According to phoneticians, or linguists who study speech sounds, these four consonants have something in common. They're all oral stops. Put simply, an oral stop, or a stop consonant, is a sound that's produced by a blockage of airflow through the vocal tract. In the case of P and B, the airflow is blocked by the lips, so they're classified as bilabial stops. Labial comes from the Latin word for lip. In the case of T and D, the airflow is blocked by the tip of the tongue against the back of the teeth, so these are classified as dental stops. Dental actually comes from the Latin word for tooth. In keeping with the interactivity of this episode, I again encourage you to make these sounds and observe the mechanics on your own. So, 
Mechanically, these particular oral stops are among the easiest and most intuitive consonants to produce, which has led to their ubiquity in languages around the world. These sounds are so easy and intuitive that babies actually start making them on their own without needing to learn them directly from adults. The earliest human babies probably discovered these sounds through playful experimentation with their tongue, lips, and pushing air through their vocal tracts. As we reviewed at the beginning of this episode, M is usually the first consonant intuitively produced by babies, but after mastering that one, any of the P, B, D, or T oral stops are bound to come next. The reason why we don't have mama and papa words with the R, Z, CH, or SH sounds is because these sounds come much later in a child's language acquisition, and the reason they come later is because they're much harder to produce. Babies need to communicate with their mamas and dadas right from the get-go, so they don't have time to wait around for these more complicated sounds to enter their phonetic inventory. If I haven't already made this clear, it's no coincidence that the earliest human babies associated M, their first consonant, with moms, and P, B, T, or D, their second consonants, with their dads. From the moment a baby is born, it depends on its mother's breast milk for survival. That survival, obviously, is the baby's first instinctual priority, so babies learn to associate the first sound they can make with this survival. From a baby's perspective, mama, mama, mama means give me milk. In support of this, in the previous episode, we looked at Roman Jacobson's pivotal essay, Why Mama and Papa. Dads, on the other hand, are babies' secondary caretakers. They are less involved when it comes to directly nurturing a child in the earliest days of its life, so from the baby's perspective, dads don't need to be named as urgently. This secondary role of the father in a baby's early life is why nursery father words are based on the second set of consonants that babies learn how to say. Sorry, dads. That is, of course, except in the case of papa, that old Japanese word which actually meant mama. You'll recall from just a few minutes ago that before Japanese borrowed the European word mama, its word for mama was papa. This defies the nearly universal correlation between the order in which babies acquire their consonants in relation to their appearance in mom and dad words. And, quite frankly, I don't know why. Throughout this and the previous episode, I've been careful to say near universal in reference to these trends in nursery parent terms, because, of course, there are exceptions here and there. I've never studied Japanese linguistics, and the literature available to me in English is quite limited, so if anyone has an inkling about this strange old Japanese word papa, which meant mama, please send me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com, and I'll discuss it on the next episode. So now that we know where the near-universal categories for nursery father words come from, let's take a closer look at the nursery father words in English. But before we do that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Words for Granted is a proud member of the CLNS Media Network, and today's episode is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. Do you consider yourself a lifelong learner? Do you enjoy learning at your own pace, anytime, anywhere? If so, then you really should check out The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus offers unlimited video access to academic lecture series by some of the world's leading professors. This is college-level learning, but without the pressure of homework, grades, and student loans. 
With the Great Courses Plus app, you can stream or download their entire video library on your phone. While the guy next to you on the train is playing video games on his phone, you can be catching up on that college course that you always wish you had taken. I recommend checking out the course Myth, Lies, and Half-Truths about language usage taught by the wonderful John McWhorter. In it, McWhorter covers the general history of our language from Old English to today. He also dispels some of the misconceptions about the decline of English in the digital age and makes predictions about where the English language is going. It's a great complement to the things we talk about here on Words for Granted, so I hope you check it out. For a limited time, The Great Courses Plus is offering listeners of this show one free month of unlimited access to their entire library. To claim your free month, you'll need to sign up through my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com words. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com words. Really, it's my pleasure to have the opportunity to share this deal with you, so don't miss out. And now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. So, as we all know, English has two main nursery father words, dada and papa. Does that mean that the earliest English-speaking babies developed two ways of addressing their fathers? No. The reason why we have two nursery father words in English is a matter of history. Dada, and by extension, dad, doesn't appear in the written record until the Middle English period, and linguists aren't in agreement about where it came from. For a nursery parent term, usually the second word that a baby learns to speak, this unknown origin is an extremely odd circumstance. Based on other Germanic languages, linguists have reconstructed the Old English nursery father word as atta, which, of course, falls into the T category of nursery father words. They had to reconstruct it because in the entire body of surviving Old English literature, an equivalent word of dad or dada isn't recorded. It's possible that by the Middle English period, this Old English word atta actually changed into dada by way of metathesis. There are other theories, but I personally find this one to be the most convincing. Metathesis is a process by which the sounds in a word get shifted around. So, if we roll with this theory, over time, the Old English word atta became tata. Then, in another sound shift, completely unrelated to metathesis, those t's became voiced, turning them into d's and thus producing the word dada. Recall that T and D are voiced and unvoiced versions of the same sound. Following the Great Vowel Shift, a gradual process that took place over the course of the Middle English period that altered the pronunciation of English vowels, dada would then become the word dada, and hence dad. Now, it's important to acknowledge that this metathesis and the shift from T to D would not have been initiated by babies. Rather, these changes would have taken place in the language spoken by adults first, and then, from the top down, this modified version of the original nursery word would have been taught to children. By the way, that unattested, reconstructed Old English word, atta, ultimately derives from yet another unattested, reconstructed word. That is, the Proto-Indo-European word, atta, which, according to historical linguists, was the Proto-Indo-European nursery word for dad. The Proto-Indo-European language had another word for father as well, and we'll touch on that more in just a bit. For those who might not know, Proto-Indo-European was a prehistoric, unrecorded language that linguists believed was spoken by nomads living in the steppe lands of modern-day Ukraine. 
as these nomads migrated and eventually settled as far west as Europe and as far east as India, hence the name Indo-European, they brought their language with them. Today, disparate languages ranging from Hindi to Spanish to Welsh to Russian to Armenian all belong to the Indo-European language family, which is to say that they all ultimately derive from the same source. So now that we have a theory about the origins of the word dad, what about the word papa? Where did we get that from? Papa first appears in the English written record during the 17th century, although it almost was certainly in use before then. English speakers borrowed Papa from French at some point during the Middle English period after the Norman conquest of England in 1066. That was the historical event that led to the borrowing of thousands of French words into English. Again, the borrowing of this new nursery word for fathers couldn't have been initiated by babies, but rather by adults who then passed it on to their children. If we trace the French papa all the way back to the Proto-Indo-European language, we find that it's a diminutive form of the reconstructed root word pater, which meant father. Note that I said father and not dad. Father, of course, is a more formal designation. Whereas some Proto-Indo-European lexical resources will tell you that the Proto-Indo-Europeans had two synonymous words for father, ata and pater, my understanding is that ata was actually more of a nursery word. In ancient Indo-European languages, there was a fairly evenly shared distribution of derivatives of ata and pater, but in most Indo-European languages today, pater derivatives are far more common as both the basis of nursery words and more formal words meaning father. Now, what about that word father? Unlike the English word mother, which actually contains the nursery word mama as its root, at a superficial glance, father doesn't seem to contain any of the father nursery words as its root. It starts with the letter F, not P, B, T, or D. However, a superficial glance doesn't tell us the full story. As it turns out, both papa and father are actually cognate if we go back far enough in time. They both share a common ancestor in that Proto-Indo-European root word pachter, which, as we now know, meant father. So where did that F in father come from? Well, after the Proto-Germanic language broke off from the Proto-Indo-European language, a series of sound shifts known historically as Grimm's Laws took place. These sound changes affected stop consonants in certain positions within words. According to Grimm's Law, the Proto-Indo-European P sound uniformly shifts to an F sound within the Proto-Germanic language, especially when occurring as the initial sound in a word. This sound shift within the Proto-Germanic language was inherited by all subsequent Germanic languages, including Old English. Other stop consonants underwent changes as well, but I'm not going to mention them here because they don't impact our story. So, whereas the Proto-Indo-European pater was inherited as pater in both Latin and Greek, Old English inherited it as fader, which we've inherited as father. Although English hasn't inherited a father word with an initial P sound, it has inherited, via French, via Latin, lots of father-related words with an initial P sound. Paternity, patriarchy, patricide, and even the words patriotism and pope all ultimately come from pater, that Latin word for father. 
Of course, if we trace this ancestry all the way back to the Proto-Indo-European language, these P words are all cognate with the English word father itself. Okay, if you love the show, I'd like to remind you that you can sign up to support it on Patreon. If that's not in your budget, you can still leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast directory of choice. Those ratings and reviews really help the show grow, and they give me feedback about what I can do to make this thing better. I'm on Twitter at, at @wordsforgranted and Facebook as Words for Granted, and you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day, and I'll catch you here next time at Words for Granted. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.